Hey, Grace community, uh, great to see all of you. So glad you're here. Greetings to our 15th Street campus and our West campus, as well as our traditions venue. Really glad all of you are here. I love our church and I love all that God is doing here. You know, when I look back on this past year, uh, my heart is filled with gratitude for all the things that God is doing in people's lives. I think of the, the children who have experienced Jesus' love and the people who have come to know Jesus through our Alpha course and, or, or, or the people who have been enfolded into an e-group or, or have experienced God's healing power through, through our prayer ministry. I think of the leaders that we have trained around the world and the acts of love and, and compassion towards those in need in our community. I could go on and on. God has done so much this past year and all of that is, is really a direct result of your generosity. So thank you, Christ community. If out of a sense of gratitude and blessing, God leads you to give a year-end gift to Christ community, please know that that gift is going to go to help change more people's stories. It's going to go for that purpose. And I love the vision God is calling our church to pursue. And I'm thrilled personally just to be invested, investing financially in that vision. Um, so speaking of vision, um, one of the things that we like to do um, around the first of the year, after the first of the year, is have a church-wide kind of fast um, and, and as an opportunity to earnestly seek the Lord afresh in prayer for the upcoming year. And I wanted to give you a heads up that we're going to be doing that during the week of January 8th. So whether you feel led to fast for a day or to do a multiple day fast. We just wanted to let you know that that's coming up. So for your planning and all those things, it's coming up the week of January 8th. So plan accordingly. Okay. If you have your Bible or Bible app, um, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 14. <clears throat> we are in the midst of an Advent series entitled Beyond the Manger. And what makes this series a bit unique is that we're not looking at the typical Christmas season Bible passages, but instead we're continuing our journey through the book of Luke, finding Christmas themes in the midst of Jesus' everyday life and ministry. And so today we're going to talk about a Christmas-related virtue that can have a dramatic impact in our workplace, in our families, in our relationships, even our culture. And this isn't a virtue or a value that's discussed very often. And in fact, by its very nature, it's often overlooked. And yet it has incredible power. So what I'm talking about is the power of humility. The entire Christmas story is a story of humility, of how God chose to humble himself and become a man. When, when he came to earth, he wasn't born in a palace, you know, with great fanfare, which is what he deserved. No, he was born in a feeding trough because his parents weren't able to secure better accommodations. His, his birth was announced not to the religious leaders, the elite religious leaders in Jerusalem. No, it, it was announced to a group of uh, shepherds, outcasts, really, who were tending flocks, their flocks outside of, of Bethlehem. Everything about Jesus' birth was unexpected because the primary virtue he embraced was humility, which was totally countercultural. In the Greco-Roman world of that day, humility was not valued at all. In fact, no leader embraced humility. Quite the opposite. Leadership was about status. It was about power and control which is what makes Jesus coming so astounding and so revolutionary. Jesus embodies humility. <clears throat> now, none of us question that. 
None of us question that. We're all grateful for the humility that Jesus demonstrated in the Christmas story. But what we often don't realize is that the humility that Jesus demonstrated is a kingdom value that he wants us to demonstrate and to live out. Humility is this powerful kingdom instrument that can transform our relationships, our workplace, even our culture. You see, humility creates a culture of honor. Humility creates a culture of of relational health and well-being. It releases life into people around us. It is that powerful. It's that powerful. But unfortunately, it's pretty hard to find in our culture today. We, We do not live in a culture of honor. We live in a culture of dishonor where politicians and celebrities regularly tweet um, and, and post shaming statements about the people that they disagree with. Just one quick example, after the horrible church shooting a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> a politician immediately tweeted, quote here, the people of Sutherland Springs need our prayers right now. And in response to that tweet, someone else tweeted, the murdered victims were in a church if prayers did anything, they'd still be alive, you worthless sack of, I won't fill in the blank there. Um, but when did it become okay to speak to people that way? When did it become okay to speak to people that way? But it's not just politicians and, and celebrities. This attitude of dishonor is spilling over into all of our lives where we automatically assume the worst about our child's teacher or our neighbor, or our coworker, vilifying their motives and behaviors without ever having a conversation with them, where we say or we, decide, or we declare things on social media that we would never say to this person if we were sitting face-to-face over a cup of coffee. We would never say that to them, but we feel free to do so on social media. I mean, the level of hatred, the level of anger, they are off the charts See, we are reaping the consequences of what happens when humility is no longer embraced as a value. Now, that's the negative side. But here's the positive side. When we choose to embrace humility, we become dispensers of life into the people around us. We become atmosphere changers as we tangibly demonstrate the humility of Jesus. So look with me at Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 7. Now just to set the context, Jesus is at the home of a prominent Pharisee, a well-known religious leader. Now you would think that in that context, Jesus would be very careful about what he said. He wouldn't want to offend anyone because all these high-powered religious leaders are there. But that's not the posture that Jesus takes. As we saw last week, the first thing Jesus does when he comes over to dinner at this prominent Pharisee's house is heal a man on the Sabbath day, which was a huge no-no for the religious leaders. But Jesus didn't care what they thought. We saw this last week. He exposed their hard-hearted hypocrisy. And he, he went ahead and healed the guy. So he's not exactly the dinner guest that they were hoping for. Okay. Um, and he's not done, which leads to verse seven. This is in the same conversation, the same evening. When he, Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor 
for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is God's word. Okay, so, so as this dinner is happening, Jesus notices how all the guests at this distinguished gathering were picking places of honor at the table. There's this pecking order that's happening. Typically in that culture, the most honored guest would be seated closest to the host. And so all these guests are kind of scrambling to find the best places at the table, the places that would bring them the most honor. And Jesus confronts them on it. He sees what's happening and he exposes the heart beneath this. It is not a heart of humility. See, what's vividly on display here is the opposite of humility, and that is pride. <clears throat> pride. Now think about what think about that word pride. P-R-I-D-E. When you spell it out, what is the middle letter in that word? It's the letter I. See, the word itself shows us what pride is. Pride is to live with I at the center of our lives. It is to live in such a way that we focus on ourselves. It's all about me, about my appearance, my accomplishes, my accomplishments, my being in control, my authority, my agenda, my desires, my status, my reputation. See, the, the primary concern is me. That's pride. Now, here's the challenge with pride. We often don't see it in ourselves. We often don't see it in ourselves. We notice it in other people, right? We notice it in other people. So we notice the person at the Christmas party who, who spends all evening talking about themselves. And inwardly, we're just kind of doing the slow burn. You know, we're kind of frustrated because all they're talking about themselves. But the question is, maybe the question to consider, why does that bother us so much? Maybe it's because we wanted to be talking about ourselves. See, maybe it's because we wanted people to pay attention to us. See, in order to get, go after this pride thing in our lives, because it's so hard to see, in order to go after this thing, we have to do diligence here in seeing it. We have to see how frequently and how subtly it manifests itself in our own hearts, which is exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage. Here he is at a dinner party. He's at a dinner party and he's just observing how people find their seats, something that's fairly trivial. They're just picking seats, right? He, but he's observing this and he points out the fact that pride is at work even then. Pride is at work even then. People are looking for seats that will give them a greater sense of honor. See, that's the critical issue when it comes to identifying where pride is at work in our lives. Here's the critical question. Where am I looking for honor? Where am I looking for honor? See, that's the heart issue underneath our pride. That's the issue that causes us to avoid humility. It's a question of where we're looking for honor. So let me, let me unpack this. Often, like the people in this passage, we look for honor in the opinions of other people, in what they think of us which can lead us down all sorts of unhealthy paths. 
I heard a, a study this past week, about a study this past week that revealed that the average person takes seven to 10 selfies before deciding on which one to actually use. Seven to 10 selfies in order to make sure the one we post is the one that makes us look the best, right? I mean, social media can cause us to be obsessed about the image that we're portraying. When we're looking for honor in the opinions of other people, we can easily become a person who always has to be right. We always have to be right. And when we are right, we want to make sure everyone knows we're right. Just the other day, I was writing an email response to someone who apparently had not read something I had written in a previous email. And, and, and so in my response, I felt this need as I was writing this response, I felt this need just to point out that I had actually already answered that in the previous email, right? I had to kind of fit that in. Why did I have to put that in? Because I wanted them to know I was right. I wanted them to know that it wasn't my fault, or, or, or what about how we respond when someone disagrees with us or someone offers some constructive criticism about a way to do something differently or whatever? We feel threatened. We get all defensive. We power up. We get accusatory. Or what about how when we make a mistake, we're unable to apologize? We're unable to own it, unable to apologize. See, all of those things are rooted in pride, but it's actually deeper than that. Those things are actually rooted in insecurity. When you dig below the pride and the powering up and the inability to apologize, all that stuff, it's rooted deeper than the pride. It's rooted in insecurity. We don't feel good about ourselves. And, and so, so, we're, so we're looking for honor in the opinions of other people. We have to kind of power up in order to feel good about ourselves. It's all about insecurity. Again, here's, here's the critical question. Where are we looking for honor? In other words, another way to say that is to what are we looking to in order to find value and affirmation? What are we looking to in order to find value and validation? If it's anything other than God, if it's anything other than God, we're gonna be on this desperate, vacuous search for validation and honor, which is what Jesus points out in this story he tells. Look again, verse eight. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. See, this is the problem. Jesus is highlighting here the problem with trying to find honor through our own efforts, through our own abilities, our own gifting, our own successes, etc. There will, here's the, here's the problem with that. There will always be someone else better at that than you. Always. Right? You think you're pretty smart. You know, in high school, you get this great ACT score and you're feeling pretty good about your intellectual ability. First week of college, you meet 10 people who have a better ACT score than you. Or maybe you're in the vocal music department and you think you have a pretty great voice and then you, you go to college and you meet 10 people who have a better singing voice than you. And suddenly you feel very mediocre. 
You see, when we seek to find honor based upon our own looks, our own ability, or whatever, we will quickly discover there is always someone else more beautiful, more talented, more successful than we are. And as Jesus points out here, it is absolutely crushing when that happens. It's humiliating is the word he uses. It's humiliating. Why? Because we were building our identity, our value, our worth on this thing. We were building our identity on that. This is how we're measuring, you know, our honor. And then someone comes along who's 20 years younger than us, who's hipper and funnier and smarter and more talented and cooler and more successful. I mean, what do you do? What do we do? It's devastating. See, Jesus is exposing not only the vanity of pride, but also the emptiness of it, the the temporary nature of it. I mean, even if you are at the top right now, you're at the top in some area, looks, business-wise, whatever, even if you're at the top, it will not last forever. It won't last forever. At some point, whatever we are looking to for honor will fail us. And where will that leave us? See, a prideful life is ultimately an exhausting, vacuous, empty way of living. You know, I I can't emphasize enough how important this question is. Where are you looking for honor? To what are you looking in order to answer the question, do I have worth? Do I have value? See, how you answer that question, how you and I answer that question will have a huge impact upon how we live. It will have a huge impact upon our relationships, upon our level of joy. I mean, in a world like ours, in a world where everyone is clamoring for honor, where everyone is competing to be valued in the eyes of other people based on whatever, where everyone is clamoring for that, Jesus offers us an alternative way of living. An alternative way of living. Look again at verse 10. Here's the other option. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, the alternative to a life of pride is a life of humility. So what exactly is humility? Humility, let's start with what it's not. Humility is not putting ourselves down or trying to convince ourselves or others that we're really unattractive or incompetent or whatever. That's not humility. You know, there's sort of this false humility at times we display when someone gives us a, you know, a compliment. Oh, you did such a great job with that. And and we respond, oh, no, I didn't. You know, I really don't have a good singing voice. Or No, I did a terrible job. We put ourselves down. That's not humility. That's not, you know, I'm not talking about that kind of false humility where we feel this need to kind of put ourselves down and never receive a confident, you know, a compliment from someone. No, 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 I'm not like that at all. That's not humility. But here, here's what humility is. See, humility is not, it's not about thinking less of ourselves. Humility is about thinking of ourselves less. 
See, it's not about thinking less of, oh, I'm really a bad person. I'm, I'm a terrible singer and blah, blah, blah. It's not about thinking less of ourselves. Humility is about thinking of ourselves less. See, true humility is this place of self-forgetfulness where we are not preoccupied with ourselves, with our status, with how people are perceiving us, with our looks, our, our intelligence. We're not preoccupied with ourselves at all. We are preoccupied with others. We are preoccupied with other people. We are focused on other people and what they're experiencing. We're focused on them. Our heart is turned towards them. I love how the Apostle Paul describes this in Philippians 2, verses 3 to 4. And if in your e-groups, if you're doing the study this week, you're going to um, look at this passage and even longer. There's another section out of this passage we don't have time to look at that's amazing in terms of how Jesus models this for us. But we're going to read just a portion here or look at a portion here. It says, do, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, notice what he's saying here. In humility, value other people above yourselves. It's not about feeling bad about you. It's not about making yourself feel low and incompetent and all of that. No, 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 no. It's, it, it's about becoming less self-focused and more other focus. See, even that false humility scenario is really still self-focused, right? Oh, I'm not, I'm really not that, you know, you know, and all that. So that's just false humility. It's, it's more self-focused. What I'm talking about is this self-forgetfulness where we're becoming less self-focused and we just become more other focused. We, we value other people above ourselves. See, that's what Jesus is inviting us into. This kind of, this, this, this way of living, now, as it relates to humility here, there are, there are a couple of myths about humility that Jesus actually kind of exposes in this story here. And these are, these are really important. Both of these are really important. Two myths about humility. The first myth regarding humility is the idea that you either have it or you don't. You know, humility is sort of a personality trait. It's something that some people were just born with and other people eh, just not born with it. You know, sorry, but that's just me. Um, you know, that, that's kind of the idea that it's something you're born with or it's, it's a personality. So some of us here may be, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to ever be that kind of person because that's just not my personality. No, look at what Jesus says here. Jesus clearly reveals in this passage that ultimately humility is not a personality trait. It is a choice we make. It is not a personality trait. It is a choice we make. In this story, you can look at it later. Jesus says, he, he says, when Jesus tells it, in the story he tells, he says, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't take the places of honor. Intentionally take the lowest places. In other words, release control of needing to find honor in anything other than Jesus. This is a choice. Release control of needing to find honor in anything other than Jesus. See, that this is something we can intentionally do. That's Jesus' point. It's a choice we make. 
It's something we can intentionally do, but it requires a shifting of our hearts. See, pride is not the sort of thing that gets defeated through willpower and um, cold showers. Uh, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to do better at pride tomorrow. Yeah, I, just, I know I'm going to try to do better. That, that's not how pride gets removed from our hearts. Pride gets removed from our hearts when we intentionally seek to find honor in Jesus rather than anyone else. When we choose that, that's how pride is defeated. See, pride is defeated or it's removed from our hearts when we intentionally say to our soul, in this moment when we're, people are clamoring and we're powering up and all that, we intentionally say to our soul, hold it, I am loved by the God of the universe. I am his beloved son or daughter. I don't need to desperately search for value in trying to be right or trying to impress people or try to make people think that I'm better than I am. I don't need to be recognized right now. I don't need to be right right now. I don't have to be seen as stunningly beautiful or higher on the pecking order than other people. I don't need that. My honor comes from God. Folks, this is not a trivial thing I'm talking about here. This is not a trivial thing. It's not a little self-help snippet. This is a significant altering of the orientation and the focus of your life. That's what we're talking about. It is a complete reorientation of the focus of your life. Choosing to align your heart with what God thinks of you rather than desperately trying to focus on what other people think of you. And that's a big deal. This is huge. See, humility is an intentional response we can have in any and every situation. In a meeting with our coworkers where we didn't get the recognition that we thought we deserved, or at a lunch with our friends and no one asks us how we're doing, right? Or, or when we suddenly feel jealous of an Instagram picture that our, our friend posted where their life looks so perfect compared to ours. In those moments, we are so vulnerable to looking for honor our own way, in promoting ourselves, in powering up, or in feeling horrible about ourselves and going to the refrigerator for some comfort food to numb the pain. Both of those responses are rooted in the same issue. Whether we're powering up or we feel horrible about ourselves and we're looking to numb the pain, both of those are rooted in the same issue. I'm looking for honor in something other than Jesus. But Jesus gives us another choice. He gives us another option to choose in that moment to choose to find our honor in him. See, to look to his love as our identity, as our source of value, rather than what other people think of us or how other people perceive us. So rather than powering up, you know, and asserting ourselves or again heading to the fridge to numb the pain, we can run to Jesus. We can let him speak his words of love and affirmation in our heart. But it's not easy. While I was, I was working on this message, I, I felt convicted about an, an interaction I'd had with someone a year and a half ago. Um, they were very angry at me for something I had done. And at the time, I felt totally justified in what I had done. I had all these reasons why it was okay what I had done um, and, and that they were in the wrong, right? But I, I began, as I 
meditated and thought about that incident, I realized that I had really hurt them. And I had been, they had asked me to do something, and I went ahead and did it, even though they asked me not to. And um, I had all my reasons, but I, I realized I had been selfish. And I hadn't apologized. I had never really apologized to them for that. And so this battle began in my heart. Oh, I'm doing this message on humility. And this is, you know, do it. I really need to apologize. And it, honestly, it was so much easier to just focus on where they were wrong. And that's what I've been doing for 18 months. Just focusing on where they were wrong rather than acknowledging my own contribution to the situation. But you see, ultimately, I had to realize this. This wasn't, this wasn't about my feelings. This wasn't about my personality type. This battle, this battle was about where I was going to choose to look for honor. That's what was going on. Was I going to look for honor for my need to be right and to be seen as being right? Or was I going to look to honor from Jesus? So I chose to email them and sincerely apologize. It wasn't easy. And I battled all the way up to hitting <laughs> send. But I knew it was the right thing to do. I knew it was the right thing to do. See, humility is not about your personality or my personality. It is a choice every one of us here can make multiple times a day. It's a choice we can make. It's a very significant choice that all of us can make. So that's the first myth Jesus busts. This is not about personality. The second myth about humility that Jesus exposes is this idea that humility is this depressing, heavy, oppressive way to live, right? And now certainly in Roman culture, it was viewed that way. I mentioned a moment ago, no leader in Roman culture, no leader would demonstrate humility. I mean, if you made it to the top, you know, like it was about 2% in that culture. If you were in that top echelon in terms of being a politician or whatever, you were up there. If you made it there, you, you had all the power and the status that you ever would want. And you could use those things to further your own interests and control people and get everything you wanted. That was, see, that's how people use power. And that's how people, humility, why would I choose humility when I could have this, right? That was the world Jesus was born into, and, and perhaps it's a world that's really not much different than, than ours, where this kind of me-first lifestyle is encouraged and fostered. See, in, in that kind of culture, the idea of intentionally choosing to not be preoccupied with self, that seems like a totally foolish choice. I mean, if you have the power, why wouldn't you use it? You'd miss out on so much if you're embracing humility. I mean, come on. Now, we've already talked about the, the emptiness that comes from a, a self-preoccupied life, and it is empty. Um, but, I, but I want to focus our attention on the positive side of humility. This is, this is really cool. In this passage, Jesus clearly describes the upside of humility. When you intentionally choose to take the lowest place, Jesus says that the host may say to you, verse 10, the host may say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, Jesus completely flips the paradigm, right? If, if, here, here, here's how he flipped it. If you are desperately trying to find honor in the opinions of other people and are earnestly making sure that you're exalted, you'll be humbled. 
That's what he says here. If you're desperately trying to make sure you're the one who is exalted, you'll be humbled. But here's what Jesus says. If you intentionally humble yourself, you'll be honored. This place of honor that Jesus is describing is a place of blessing. It's a place of life. It's a place of joy. See, here's a person in this story. Here's a person who is not desperately seeking to be honored, but is actually content in their own heart, knowing they're valued by God. They don't have to have the seat near the host. They're okay sitting farther away, right? They know they are valued by God. When that issue gets settled in our hearts, we know our honor comes from God. We know we're valued by God. When that issue gets settled, suddenly the door gets opened to a level of joy and contentment and freedom that we hadn't experienced before. In fact, I want to read this quote, pastor and author John Ortberg, he writes this. This is just a great quote. He says, humility, if we ever could grow into it, would not be a burden. It would be an immense gift. Humility is the freedom to stop trying to be what we're not or pretending to be what we're not and accepting our appropriate smallness. Humility is the decision to let God be God. I love that. See, when we properly understand humility, it will result in this huge sigh of relief. We can, we can actually step off the exhausting treadmill of approval addiction and step on to the gentle pathway of just walking humbly with Jesus. See, what, what would happen if in that moment when you instinctively want to let someone know you're right, or you want to point out they're wrong, or you want to aggressively defend yourself, what if you chose not to go there? In, in that previously mentioned email exchange, um, I, where I wanted to include the subtle line about now, I did mention this in the previous email. You know, I want to let them know I was right. I chose to just delete that. I chose to not include that and then to send it. And it felt, honestly, it felt really good. It felt freeing to embrace the humility of Jesus in that moment rather than try to assert my own pride. There was a freedom there. I don't have to go there. In fact, there's something so powerful that I want us to notice in this story Jesus tells. In the first scenario, he describes, the host comes up to the person who seated themselves with honor, right? They're trying to sit up close. The host comes up to that person and says to them, give this person your seat. Give this other person your seat. I mean, it's kind of rude, right? It's a very direct statement. You got to get to a lower seat. It's a very direct statement. But notice how the host addresses the second person who chose humility. When the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Friend. See, when we choose humility, when we choose to not live with self at the center of our lives, to not be so preoccupied with ourselves, when we choose that, a door is opened for us to experience deepening relationships with other people. Deepening friendship. See, pride is a relationship killer. Pride is a friendship killer. If you are only focused on yourself and you only really enjoy listening to yourself talk about yourself and proving that you're right and all that stuff, your friendship pool will be very small. I promise it will be very small. But the more you choose humility, 
the more you choose to listen well and to focus on the heart of others, the more you will experience genuine friendship. See, our humility can have a huge impact upon our circle of relationships, our, our, our family, our children, our workplace, our school, our culture. See, humility enables us to foster a culture of honor where people around us are lifted up and they're valued and they're blessed rather than torn down. It actually, humility fosters this culture of honor. But it's not only about our horizontal friendships. Is it about that in horizontal relationships? Huge, pouring honor into those things. It's huge. But it's not only about our horizontal relationships and friendships. The, the more we choose humility, the deeper our friendship with Jesus will be. I mean, surely, when you think about this story, surely Jesus is the host in the story that he tells. Jesus is the one who says to us, friend, move to a better place. Enjoy closeness with me. Enjoy my love. Enjoy the value that I place upon you. And you will experience joy and contentment and increased influence in that place. See, God's heart and favor are drawn to humility like a magnet is to metal. I mean, seriously, look, look at 1 Peter chapter 5. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. He opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humility, humility attracts the goodness and the favor and the power of God into our lives. Humility is one of the most influential, powerful forces in the kingdom. But no one really lives that way, right? No one believes that. But it's true. This is a kingdom perspective, not the world's perspective. It's one of the most powerful, influential forces in the kingdom. I mean, think about this. Jesus' humility, it led him to a manger as well as to the cross. And both of those realities have impacted our lives in dramatic ways. So in light of that, imagine the power and the freedom and the joy and the life that could be unleashed when we choose to walk in the humility of Jesus. It's powerful. Imagine the impact of that. Okay, well, let's, let's quiet our hearts and just kind of enter into a time of response here. In these, in these moments right now, we, we have a great opportunity to really live this out. I mean, the, the point of us coming together each week, it's, it's really this, to slow down our lives, to slow down our minds, and create this opportunity for us to open our hearts and experience the God of the universe. We, and here's the deal, we have to humble ourselves to do this. This is not a self-help thing. This is the path for more deeply experiencing the Spirit of God in our lives in this moment. Without humility, you and I will miss him in this moment. We will miss him. We won't experience God right now if we're consumed with ourselves, our lives, worried about what other people think of us or how we compare to other people in the room, all those things, what we look like, all of that. We will miss God if that's what we're focused on. 
So, so I want to encourage all of us. We're, we're entering into this time of response. I want to encourage us in these next few minutes, we'll be doing a few different responses, to just to make this, these moments about God and not about you, not about me. To embrace humility, choosing to find our honor in him, not in these other things. So let's just sit in this for a moment. Where are we looking for honor? And what does it look like to embrace humility in this moment, right now? So as a part of our response this evening, as our worship, we're going to be taking communion together. Tables are set up at any point during this response, this worship time. You can go to a table, take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice and eat it. See, communion, we think about this, communion is such a powerful metaphor and vision of humility, right? Jesus humbled himself by going to the cross. And so as we partake of the Lord's Supper, I don't want to encourage us, let's make this about God and not us. Remember, Jesus, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He's the point. He's the one who is deserving of all honor and praise and glory. So, so let me pray for us as we're preparing our hearts to respond in worship and commune in this humility. I want to give, as we're preparing our hearts to do that, I want to give anyone here an opportunity to place your trust in Jesus, to receive his salvation. Maybe there's some of you here and you've never done that. And you know you need this relationship with Jesus where he lives in you, he's, he forgives your sin, and he changes you from the inside out. If you've never done that, you've never humbled yourself in that way. It's not about you trying hard to be a good Christian. It's about you receiving Jesus' forgiveness. If you've never done that, I want to lead you in a prayer right now where you can do that. So just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. I've done my own thing, gone my own way, and my sin my self-centeredness separates me from you. But I don't want to be separated from you. Even though there's nothing I could do to get to you, you came to me. You sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross in my place. Jesus, you took the penalty I deserve to pay. Thank you. And I choose to place my trust in you. I humble myself and place my trust in you alone. I bring you my fears and doubts and failures and sin and questions, all of those things I just bring to you. And in exchange, I receive your forgiveness and your life. Come live in me through the power of your spirit. Change me from the inside out. 
So God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer, help them grow in their relationship with you. And now for all of us here, Lord Jesus, you are worthy of our praise and our honor. It is in you that we find our honor and value, not the opinions of others. So we thank you for humbling yourself by coming to earth, by choosing the cross. We are eternally grateful. We humble ourselves before you. We worship you by partaking of the Lord's Supper. We worship you in song. We want this to be about you. This is all about you. So help us, Lord, experience humility and experience you in the midst of these intentional decisions to embrace humility in these moments. So thank you, Lord. So why don't we stand? If at some point you want to sit down, that's totally cool. We're going to stand. The worship team is going to lead us in some songs. And again, I invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper when you feel ready to do that and just to make your focus. Let's make our focus be on him because he is worthy of that.